Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, dwell in the land of Negev, the Hittites, the the Jesuites, the Amorites, dwell in the hill country. And and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quietened the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy, occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who were come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your goodness to us and just pray that in this uh, short time that we have together that you would quieten our hearts and our minds, that Lord, that we would hear from you this morning and that we would take heed of the example that is before us of, of the children of Israel, how easy it is to fall in the trap of, of fear and of discouragement But Lord, I pray that we would look at this example today and that, Lord, we would be encouraged that you are indeed sovereign, that you're in control. That, Lord, we could look to you as our Savior, one and only, and be encouraged in and through you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever traveled down a mountain road where signs were posted ahead, falling rock? I know we moved out here from Colorado, and everywhere you can imagine the Rockies, there's, I, I can remember vividly driving through the big Thompson Canyon on the way to Estes Park, or on the way to uh, Rocky Mountain National uh, Park, and you see those signs everywhere. Matter of fact, I have seen them out here as well, uh, driving around. Um, I have seen a sign that says, beware of falling rock. Well, what did you do? Did you pull over, frantically look at the map for another route? Did you refuse to budge another inch because you were afraid of what might happen? Did you slow your speed practically to a crawl and keep your eyes peeled overhead for plummeting debris? I I doubt any of those things happen. Why? Because you know 
But while there is a remote possibility for a falling rock to cone your car, it is not likely. But you also know that if you take your eyes off the road, you're much likely, more likely to have an accident than you are injured by a boulder coming crashing over the mountain. And you know, too, that unless you keep going, you'll never get to your destination. If you're going to live a successful, a Christian life, a productive life in Christ, you must learn how to live with uncertainties of life. Overcome your fear and move in spite of the obstacles that are in your way. We see a clear example of that here in Numbers 13 and what we just read. The children of Israel were promised by God a land, a land flowing of milk and honey, a land of freedom. He brought them out of a land of bondage. He brought them out of a land of a, a slavery, a captivity, where they were treated horribly. Uh, and, and brought them through the Red Sea. He provided time and time again for them. And right now they're on the edge. They, they could see the land in sight. It's theirs for the taking. All they have to do is go and enter in. And God promised them that he was going to be there. He was going to look after them, protect them. He was going to be their champion, be their God. But what happened? Well, fear. They heard a bad report. Twelve spies went out to spy out the land to see what was there. Ten bad, two good. Remember the song, little children's song that goes along with that. I'm not going to sing it. Um, but so, so they go out there, and, and you have Joshua and Caleb. This is what it is. So you have two. They, they see the same land. They, they see the same thing that everyone else does, all the other spies. Joshua and Caleb said go, but the others said no. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, they, they, they saw... Uh, 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 blessing. The the the, well, let me say, the ten saw um, barriers, but Jesh, the Joshua and Caleb saw blessings. The ten saw giants, but the ten saw opportunity. They saw God there. The ten saw fortified cities, and their faith crumbled. But the two had faith and saw the fortified cities crumble. The two said, the best is yet to come. But the ten said, the best is behind us. Let's go back to Egypt. It is better for us to live in the past than go to the future. In the little time that we have here this morning, I want to look at six events. Six events that transform these people's lives forever. And we're going to see how it gradually gets worse as we go along. But let's start it with the first one in chapter 14, verse 1. We see they cried. Look at verse 1, chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. So we see here that not just a few, not just a little bit, all, a majority of the people there were fearful, afraid. God has brought us up to this point, and, and, and now What? It's like he's abandoned us. He has left us. We're here to die. There's, there's no end in sight. There, there's no, uh, uh, anything positive is going to happen from this. They feared what they could not see. In essence, they had a low view of God and a high view of man. 
God was their champion. He was their king. He was going to provide for them. He was going to look after them. Max Lucado, in his book, When God Whispers Your Name, tells a wonderful story of his, of his four-year-old daughter, Sarah. Her favorite game is to jump into her father's arms. When she gets him at just the right distance, not too close, mind you, but not too far away either, she crouches, springs, and then throws her whole self at him. Superman without a cape, skydiver without a parachute. Her only hope is her father. If he proves weak, she'll fall. If he proves cruel, she'll crash. If he forgets, she'll tumble to the hard floor. But she doesn't worry about any of this because she trusts her father. Four years under the same roof with him has convinced her that he is reliable. So she flies and soars and he catches her always. One day, Sarah's older sister was watching Max and asked Sarah if she would jump into Andrea, her older sister. And Sarah refused. Her father tried to coax her into it, but she wouldn't budge. Why not, he asked. She said, I only jump into big arms. The children of Israel have a great opportunity to show that God is their king. Their faith is in him and him alone. He's going to catch them. They're not going to fail. They're not going to fall. They're not going to tumble. He's going to be their God. He is going to look after them. And yet, when the moment arises and the heat is turned up, we see what happens. We see their faith. They are fearful. Let's look at the second point. In verse number two, we see not only did they cry, but they complained. Look at verse two. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. We see here that they're grumbling and they're complaining to the, to the, to the leaders. It is Moses and Aaron's fault. They had brought us here. Forget the fact that, that God had used them in a great way to do, to do miracles. The, 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 the things that are unfathomable. Part the Red Sea. Bring them through the wilderness. Forget all that. No, they brought us here to the very edge. We could see the promised land, but there's giants. We can't defeat them. How soon they have forgotten what God had done for them. The grumbling, the complaining. Erwin Lutzer says, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite innocent in itself, but God takes it personally. Why is God so offended by our complaining spirit? Because a complaining spirit belittles God's power. In our culture today, there are great emphasis placed on downsizing God. He's just one of other gods that we can worship. He's one of the ways. He's one of the ways to heaven. In Paul David Tripp's book, uh, All, if you, if you haven't, A-W-E, if you haven't read it, I would suggest it. It's a great read. He, he talks about in his book um, regaining the all of God. And really our root problem in everything that we face is we have lost the wonder, the majesty of who he is. He says this, 
He says, when we replace vertical awe with God, uh, when we replace all of, excuse me, when we replace vertical awe of God with all of self, bad things happen in the horizontal community. Then he goes on and says this, we talk much more about what we want than about what we have been given. Notice how much we compare what we have to what others have and to how little of the time we are satisfied. Listen to people very long and you'll hear the drone of complaint far more frequently than you'll hear the melody of thankfulness. You see, we don't, we don't first have a grumbling problem. No, we have an awe problem that results in a life of personal dissatisfaction and complaint. When all of self replaces all of God, praise will be rare and grumbling plentiful. We see here with the children of Israel, they have lost their all of God. They have lost who he is. They have lost who he is. And and when you don't see God for who he truly is, you think of yourself as pretty high and mighty. Because when we see him for who he truly is, we'll be like Isaiah in chapter 6. Woe is me, a man of unclean lips that dwells among a people of unclean lips. Who am I to be compared to you? When we lose the all of God, the all of God, we become unthankful. Forget those things that God has done for us. And we feel a sense of entitlement. Oh, I deserve something. Oh, I deserve this. Why hasn't God given me this? And we start to begin to demand things from God. We see here in the second part of this verse that they want to go back. They're contemplating whether or not they should go back to, to Egypt. A place where there is no hope. There is no peace. There's no purpose. It's not too late, though. They could turn around. We see their cry. We see their complaint. And look at verse 3. They're contemplating. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So now they've shifted the blame. Did you catch that in the very first part of the verse there? It was to Moses and to Aaron. Why have these, God, why have you given us these leaders? To, they don't know what they're doing. They can't lead. It brought us here to die. And now that has turned into blaming God. God, it's your fault. Oh, why did you bring us here? Why did you put us here? You can see the anger and the bitterness that is, that is dwelling inside, that is boiling up inside. They have put demands on God that are not theirs to put on him. And when it hasn't come through the way they wanted it or what they envisioned it happening, well, then it's his fault. He done this to me. We see that here clearly. But God is out, not out to get anyone. His love for these people has been demonstrated time and time over and over as he looked out for his people. He has cared for his people. He's protected them. He's provided for them. He is not out to get them. He is not their enemy. And yet we see here 
their situation and, and it has gone back to the point of they're really contemplating, they're really thinking now, we're going to go back to Egypt. We're going to go back. It's better for us to go back. What, what did they leave in Egypt? They were, they were in bond. They were enslaved. There was nothing good there in Egypt for them. To go back to a place where God was not reverenced. Go back to a place where God was mocked. Go back to a place of no peace, no rest, and no hope. We can look at that situation and think, well, these people are crazy. They're right here at the edge. God has brought them all the way to this point. Just trust God. But how many times, if we're honest, are we like this? God has been so good to us. He is so good to us. But the very moment a trial comes up, that just blindsides us, comes out of nowhere, that tests our faith, that tests our trust in him. Are we tempted to run back to our Egypt, back to a place of no peace, no rest, no hope, back to the very sin that we have been rescued and ransomed from. We run to a place to where we feel as though we'll be accepted if we do certain things. We'll find our worth. There'll be some kind of worth instead of running to the one who tells us our worth and value is not wrapped up in the things that we do or can't do, but in the one who has done all for us. We see clearly the, the state of of these people. By the way, it's still not too late. God's mercy, even in these verses here, he, he would take them back. It's not too late. Look at verse 4. We see they conspire. In verse 4, and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Well, their mind is seemingly made up. They now fear man rather than God. They desire man's approval rather than God's. Let's, let's, let's create our own leader. Let, let, let's, let's make our own leader. He'll, he'll lead us out of this mess. He'll take us back to Egypt. It kind of reminds me of what would happen many, many years down the road when in 1 Samuel chapter 8 they desire to have their own king. They look at the other nations that are around them being led by other men. God is their king. God is their champion. But they look at other nations and say, hey, well, they have a, they have a king. They have a leader. Well, why can't we be like them? The children of Israel are here now and they're looking around and they're saying, hey, I think it may be better in Egypt. I mean, look, we're, we're, we're facing certain death. Maybe they'll be a little lenient if we go back to Egypt. So we see here the, they're blind. They're confused. They're discouraged and their faith is lacking. And trust in God. And so, in verse 5, Moses and Aaron, they realize the, the they realize the, how important this is. They, they realize how crucial the, a moment this is right here. In verse 5, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all the assembly of the congregation and the people of Israel. 
They fell on their face because they knew that this would not please God, and God was not pleased at all. Matter of fact, if you'll look at, um, look at verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disherit them. And I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. All right, this is, God's ready to wipe them out. He's going to start all over again. He's going to kill them all. I was looking at that, and I was reminded when it says, they do not believe me, and all the signs, all that I have done for them. What are the signs that God has done for his people? What are the things that he had done for them? Well, he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He, he brought them out. He parted the Red Sea. That wasn't Moses. He enabled Moses to do that, but that wasn't Moses. That was God providing for his children. He, he, he led them through. He, he provided uh, 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 light he prov- uh, during, uh, during the uh, night it, for them to travel. He provided manna from heaven, water from a rock, Time and time again, he, his provision, his love for his people were great. And why did he do it? Because he wanted to be liked? Because he wanted to be nice? Why did God do this? Because he loved them. He loved these people. Why would he send his only begotten son to be humiliated, to be mocked and beaten to a bloody pulp and to turn his back on his only son, to see him dying on the cross, sin and shame, with our sin and shame. Why would he do that? Because he loved you. He loved me. He loved us with an everlasting love. He loved the children of Israel. That's why he did the things that he did. He wasn't their enemy. He was for them. And we see here now because of their wickedness, because we serve a holy God, because he is holy, he must punish that which is not holy. He's also a God of justice. And these people are rebellion, have a rebellious heart toward God. And then we see a beautiful picture here of Moses. I'm not going to read it all, but it's Moses interceding before the people. Much like what Christ does for us. The Bible says that he is our advocate to the Father. He is there and he is interceding before them. He cries out to God and he says, look, remember your promises. Remember that what you have promised, this is your people. You're a God of love. You're a God of long suffering. And, and, he, and he goes and he intercedes among the people. And I often, I often thought, why would Moses do this? The people hated Moses. They couldn't stand him. Multiple times they wanted him killed. They, they, wanted, they would stone him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted him done. They, they didn't like him. And yet Moses would go before God to save these people. What a heart of compassion, a heart of love he had for them. And so we see that that God does relent. He doesn't destroy them all. He had every right to do that. It was all in his right. 
to do that. But we, well, if you, you know the story, he goes, and, and that brings to the, the next point, we see the consequences of their sin. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, it says in Galatians. Where a man sows, he also reaps. There's consequences to sin. But we can choose to sin, but we can't choose the consequence of that sin. And so we see that here with these people. We find out that their consequences are that those that are 20 and above would never enter into the promised land. Would never see. They would miss out on God's best for them. And what God wanted to do in and through their life. You can only imagine the, the heartbreak when the news came and they heard that. As a matter of fact, we see that in verse 39. And when Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. You know, the Bible could have just said the people mourned and it was bad, but they used, they mourned greatly. Their hearts were broken. They realized what they had done. They realized that they're here at the edge of the promised land. It's God's blessing. It's theirs to inherit. It's all of theirs. And yet because they chose not to trust God, that he was in control, that he would look after them. They lost it. Those that were 20 and above. I can't help to, and and, and you can also read in verse 40 and to the end of the chapter there, that they rose up. They're all gathered together. They were going to go in anyway. A group of them came up and they were going to go and just, Moses told them, look, God is not with you. He's not with you. And the Bible says that they defeated them and drove them back even further from where they were at. You know, when I was looking at this, I couldn't help to, my heart was breaking for for Moses. What What a great, man of God. Did Moses have his, he was just a man, okay? He had his, his failures too. But to go and intercede amongst these people who hated him, who wanted him dead, and, and then to hear this for their consequences, you know this would affect Moses too. Moses would never go, would never, now God would allow Moses to see it from a distance, but he would never be allowed to go and enter into it and inherit what was God, intended for God, him, for God to have. He would not go in, be able to go in to that. And I often thought, you know, Moses could have gave up. He, he could have said, okay, what's the use? I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to be able to inherit God's blessing, what he had promised us, a beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, a place of security, a place of rescue, of hope and peace. Uh, you know, I'm not going to enter in, so it's, it's pointless, it's useless. But Moses continues to lead these people. I don't know about you, but for me, that would be tough. They wanted, they wanted him dead. They didn't want anything to do with him, and yet he still continues to lead. Why? Well, it's not because of duty. Because if it was just because of duty, because he just had something he had to do, he would have given up a long time ago. 
I know I would have. But it's because of love. Love for these people, but more importantly, a love for his God. He has seen the all of God, the glory, the wonder, the majesty. And he wanted more of it. He wanted to be close to his God. He wanted to obey him, not out of duty, because something he had to do, because out of, but out of love, because he wanted to, and he loved his God. And how convicting, what a reminder that is to me. What, why do we do what we do? Is it because we have seen a glimpse of God? We saw his glory, we see his glory, his majesty. We have tasted See that he is good. Several generations ago, uh, many, many years ago, there was a story that was said of um, out in the Middle East. There were many wars that were, were fighting in the Middle East, and a spy was captured and sentenced to death by a general of the Persian army. The general, a man of intelligence and compassion, had adopted a strange and unusual custom in such cases. He permitted the condemned person to make a choice. The prisoner could either face the firing squad or pass through the black door. As the moment of execution drew near, the general ordered the spy to be brought before him for a short final interview. And so when he got him there together, he asked, what shall it be, the firing squad or the black door? This was not an easy decision, and the prisoner hesitated to make it, to, to, uh, but soon made it known that he much preferred the firing squad to the unknown horrors that might await behind the anonymous and mysterious black door. Not long thereafter, a volley of shots in the courtyard announced the grim sentence had been fulfilled. And the general, staring at his boots, turned to his aide and said, You see how it is with men? They always prefer the known way to the unknown. It is characteristic of people to be afraid of the undefined. Yet, I gave him a choice. What lies behind the black door? asked the aide. Freedom, replied the general, and I've known only a few brave enough to take it. You know, I I, I shudder to think how many times this year I've missed out on God's blessing because of fear. Because I have chosen the applaud of man over the applaud of God, or, 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 the, or I have chosen fear rather than the faith. I'm encouraged, however, that we serve a gracious God, a God of second, a third, and fourth, and on and on chances. And my mistakes, my scars from my past, though it may be visible and though it may show us where we have been, doesn't have to dictate where we are going. A lot of uncertainty is wrapped up in 2019. There's a lot of twists and turns. There's mountains and there's valleys. All good and all bad, all wrapped up in the 2019. 
but I am thankful that God gives me strength to face the unknown. We are approaching 2019, and we, like the children of Israel, have a decision to make. Are we going to run away what may lie ahead, or are we going to taste and see that he is good? Are we going to see God for who he truly is, the awe of him, be captivated by him, and allow our love for him to pour into 2019, and that what may ever we may face, that we can have faith and be encouraged to know that we can trust him. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that we can trust you, whatever may come our way. And as we approach 2019, a new year, there's going to be many ups and downs, twists and turns, uncertainties. But I am thankful, we are thankful this morning that we serve you and that you know our path and what lies ahead. And we can trust you for everything else and know that you love your children and that you'll care for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You please stand. We're going to sing a song together. Think about the things that you know that the Lord would have you do, that you have been afraid to do, what might happen if you were obedient to the Lord. We pray that the Lord would give us the courage that he gave to Joshua and Caleb to do the things that he has commanded us to do, to see if it is true that the Lord will bless us through his word. Let's sing and think about what we